morning, good morning. So good to see you this morning. Uh, those of you watching online, thank you for being with us here. Um, if you're new um, to Living Word, thank you again for being here. I am Brandon. I'm the family pastor here at Living Word. got the honor of sharing with you this morning on the second part of the message that Pastor began last week um, on the question, does God care about what we do with our bodies? We've been in this um, great series called Passing the Test. I'm happy to wrap that up um, for us this morning. Um, let me ask you as we begin, how many of you just in school were not the best test takers? Like, it wasn't your thing? Yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, especially stressful for all of us were those high-stakes exams, right? The the year-end finals that were like 95% of your grade, and like you, you think, why did I even take this class if I could just take the test, right, and pass? Um, the a- ACTs, the SATs, all those. Um, probably one of the, the most high stakes for me um, was my senior recital for my music education degree. For some of you may know, I actually have a, I got my degree in music ed. Was a music teacher for a few years before um, going into the ministry. Um, but but uh, from the music department side of things, for my degree, I was required to do a senior recital. Um, Katie Fisher, our worship leader, you you hear you get me, you get me. She's a music teacher as well, and so we often talk about our our stressful days of being a music ed. <laughs> But um, recitals, if you don't know, these are typically pass-fail, okay? So if you don't pass your recital, you fail, okay? It, it, was, it was that intense. You, you, um, so if you don't put um, time and usually months and hours and upon hours of practicing just for this one performance, it's not going to go well, okay? You, you, you dress up on that day for me in a tux looking like I was about to get married, and uh, I get out on stage by myself in front of a 100 or so people, right? All And all of this, my career, future career, riding on whether or not I make many mistakes in this performance. No pressure, right? No pressure. Ay, ay, ay. Well, Mine wasn't without mistakes, but to my parents' delight of not wasting four and a half years of college on me, uh, I passed. So I must have slept for like a week straight after that recital, but oh man. Um, la- last week, um, as, as part of our current series, Passing the Test, as I said, Pastor began uh, the two-part message on the question, does God care what we do with our bodies? Does Christianity, does it pass the test in answering that question? I'm making the point this morning that the answer um, to that question um, is one of high stakes, especially for the next generation of believers. Today, um, I'm, I'm wrapping up um, our series on this with this message. I hope you've been encouraged through this series, though, that that we follow a reasonable faith. Amen. With with question with answers rather to the most stringent criticisms that people can bring about Christianity. The toughest questions people can ask. Our faith is an intelligent one, supported by historical evidence, archaeology, other scientific fields, to name a few. Uh, remember, church, if God created it all, then creation points back to him, right? Because Christianity is true and is reasonable and is intelligent, then the issues that we, we struggle and wrestle with in our culture, uh, we must be able to deal with. It matters that we, we discuss, that we have um, conversations as we look to the Word and discover truth so that you and I can then bring our lives under the authority of Christ. 
I believe that is especially true in our current subject. As we learned last week, probably the issue in the forefront of our culture today is this incredibly complex topic of sexuality. The issues and intricacies surrounding the topic seem never-ending. As a people in the West who have often sought their own way, their own independent way, the Western culture has been throwing off all supposed constraints to our freedoms, right? The sexual revolution of the 60s championed this new mindset where we began viewing any boundaries for our behavior as repressive. And that mindset has often slowly infected the way some, even within the church, think of sexuality as well. I love this quote um, Pastor shared with us last week from Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. Um, I, want to, I want you to do me a favor this morning. If you're interested in some resources, there's a pen in the seat in front of you. There's, um, grab some paper, take some notes. I'm going to hand, um, hand you through this morning's message a bunch of resources if you're interested. So have a pen ready. Um, that first one, definitely, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, is one that I, um, both of us recommend you, you getting into um, checking out. Here's what Nancy said. We're going to repeat this morning uh, for our message. Message. She said, Christianity assigns the human body a much richer dignity and value. I love this. Humans do not need freedom from the body to discover their true authentic self. Rather, we can celebrate our embodied existence as a good gift from God. Instead of escaping from the body, the goal um, is to live in harmony with it. And church, for our conversation this morning specifically, if I can, I want to add to Nancy's thought there with this. Um, We also do not need freedom to do whatever we want with our bodies to discover freedom. Amen? To discover our true authentic self. That is not, um, but our culture would say that you and I are, um, that you and I are free to do whatever we wish with our bodies, right? And they would argue that that is what gives us absolute autonomy or freedom over ourselves, right? But as we look this morning um, to the Word and as we look to um, gospel concepts on this very complicated subject, I want to look at a specific aspect that encompasses all of us, that all of us can relate to. You see, at some point, we all have interactions with students, whether we still have kids at home or if you're single, maybe you've like taken on that role as the cool uncle or cool aunt, Right. Um, maybe you're the grandparent to some incredible grandkids. Um, all of us here this morning interact with kids um, here at church on some level. At some level, all of us engage with, with kids. So, so what can we do then as parents and grandparents, other family, or supportive adults in the lives of kids to encourage them in the biblical view of their sexuality? That's a tough question. Students here this morning. I want to address you for a bit. How can you and I honor God with our bodies? Like what, what does that actually look like in our world today? Is it even possible with all that swirls around us um, to do that? It doesn't matter to do that. I, I, want to, I truly believe in the, that the Bible calls us to that this morning. It's a calling worth pursuing. It's vitally important as we guide young adults, teens, and yes, even the kids in our lives, that we guide them to God's design of ourselves and relationships. But before we move on to how, I want to briefly mention the why. Why does that matter that we do that? Why should we even worry about standing on a biblical view of sex and sexuality? I think one of the most obvious reasons uh, for why is this. 
Church, our wholeness as followers of Christ is affected when we step outside of God's design. Amen? Our wholeness is affected. When, when we walk outside of God's design for our lives, brokenness enters the picture. We could mention story after story of those here this morning who have experienced sexual brokenness in some way, along with the pain and the consequences that have come because of that brokenness. But before we think that brokenness is something new, remember the story of Lot, Abraham's nephew from the Bible, and the story of destruction of the great cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know about great. I wouldn't call them. <laughs> it's probably the story that people think of biblically when they think of sexual sin and the consequences that came because of it. It's an intense story. Genesis chapter 19, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along with me there, follow along with me. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, let me summarize a little bit for you as we get into it. Um, after two angels are sent to look throughout the city, remember the conversation that Abraham had had earlier with God. God tells Abraham he's coming to destroy the cities. Abraham says, what, what if I can find um, this many men, righteous men there? Will, will you, you know, relent? Will you not destroy it? And, you know, and the, notice how the number keeps going down, right? Well, this is, this is the story after that. These two angels are sent to, to uh, purvey the city. Um, Lot welcomes these two angels into his home to eat and sleep. But listen to this. The wickedness of the city is so incredible that, that the men from the entire town surround Lot's home filled with an enraged lust, lust to violate these angels. Seeing the wickedness of the city is so beyond repair, the angels plead with Lot to leave the city. God is going to destroy it. Genesis 19.12 says this, the two men who the Bible tells us were these angels said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people was so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Lot and his daughters and wife escape. Of course, we all know his wife turned around um, to peer back at the city against the instructions of the Lord and was turned into a pillar of salt. Um, and every husband everywhere says, I told you so. Um, yet, yet, yet even Lot's own family had been influenced by the evil around them, Right? And we read further into the chapter, look in verse 30 on your own later if you want, um, how that brokenness continued. It had impacted even their Lot's family. Church, when we walk outside of God's plan, like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, brokenness causes destruction. Amen? And in, and in case we think Sodom was just some mythical story told to caution people in biblical days, Jesus himself actually mentions the destruction of Sodom. For, fast forward to the New Testament. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 28. Jesus specifically talks there with his disciples about the second coming, the end of the world. The destruction in Sodom was so great, so monumental, it's used as a picture here as of, of the turmoil that will be when Jesus returns and destroys all wickedness. To be fair, the reality of brokenness is for every area of our lives, right? Not just this area. When, when we step outside of God's plan, in whatever area of our life it is, um, brokenness enters. When, when, we, when we begin to walk outside of God's design uh, for health, 
and we overeat or, or starve ourselves or don't exercise, our health suffers, right? When we walk outside of God's design for our marriage, our marriage suffers. When we walk outside of God's design for our finances and use poor financial stewardship and don't, and don't um, save or, or, or amass amounts of debt, our finances suffers, right? On, on the flip side of this concept, wholeness is found in life when you and I walk in the fullness of who God designed us to be, amen? Fullness can be found. Now, does that mean that we don't struggle? Absolutely not. We all know that's not the truth. But but fullness can be found in Christ when we walk in who God designed us to be. In the area of sexuality, fullness is found when we live according to the design he has given us in the scripture. And anything outside of that design causes brokenness. There's a lot of brokenness. A lot of which has come when people step outside of what God planned. Students are not immune from this. If you were here with us previously as we discussed worldview, you'll remember it said that everyone has a worldview, right? Everyone. That's no different on this subject this morning. Let me be clear and say with clarity, our children need to understand a biblical worldview of sexuality and what that looks like. Because make no mistake, the culture is teaching them their worldview on sexuality, right? It's everywhere. You, you can't get away from it anymore. It, everything about it has, over the last handful of decades, has slowly infected every aspect of our society. You can't turn on a show without these slow, um, these little hints, right, of the worldview of sexuality. You can't um, go to the mall without seeing the ads anymore. And th- those haven't been recent. Those have been for a while, right? But it's infected every aspect. Our, of our society in youth ministry as as a youth pastor here you're you're often um, on the front lines so to speak of coming into contact with everything that teens um are, are seeing and witnessing and, and conversating about on social media at school etc when you hang out with teens you're just hearing then all of that that they come into contact with um one of my awesome youth leaders hannah um, is unofficially my Z- gen z translator okay so um, the, the joke with her has been every time there's new lingo and, and it's constantly changing. Y'all that it, hang around teens very much know that it's like constantly changing and it's hard to like even keep up with. I don't understand my own 14 year old son now sometimes. Like, can you, can you put that into like old English for me or something? I don't, um, so part of her role is just to translate this new lingo, right? Um, so, uh, but I'll never forget, um, a young man coming to me a few months or so ago and we were meeting together for discipleship. Um, before youth group and having a great conversation about relationships and what godly relationships look like and how what what to do in relationships and those kind of things. But he expressed his desire to be in a relationship. Um, but he said with concern, he said, Pastor Brandon, I really would like a girlfriend, but all the girls I'm connected with on social media are bisexual. I, I believed he was probably exaggerating a little bit, right? Teens can exaggerate sometimes. So I dug a little. I said, what do you mean all the girls you're connected with are bisexual? He, he said, I'm being serious. All of them have changed their pronouns on their social media profiles to indicate they're open to relationships with either boys or girls. We can have a whole other conversation on the peer pressure that teens are faced with on social media regarding the area of sexuality, and not just teens, to be fair, everyone. I shared heavily about that in a message I taught on May 30th of 2021 called Godly Parenting in 2021. Again, just resources if you're interested in hearing that and maybe weren't here for that and want to check that out. 
you can always go to our website um, on the messages tab and check out the scroll through the old messages there. I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. There's a lot of, uh, well, I think there was some good stuff there, but um, anyways, check that out. Um, but this student and I had a long conversation that day about how to best discern that someone has a deep and meaningful relationship, a transformative relationship with the Lord before deciding to get in a long-term relationship. Um, among the other things our students need to be able to discern in other people then is not um, is whether or not they have a biblical worldview on these subjects. Um, church, how many of you know it's no longer good enough to have a Christian worldview because many so-called Christians have abandoned historic Christian beliefs in the area of sexuality. They've thrown it out the window to pursue their own feelings on the subject. It's no longer good enough just to have a Christian worldview. Do we have a biblical worldview, a historic Christian worldview on these subjects? Church, there is confusion about sexual identity among young people. Our teens coming to church and our youth group are not immune they're faced with these same realities that, are, that, that other teens are. As this national spotlight has turned in again and again to many issues surrounding sexual identity, transgenderism, our students are seeing it and in some way forming an opinion on it. Is that opinion based at all on what the biblical worldview of sexuality is? My son, um, 14 years old, 8th grader, and his, and his classmates at school were tasked a few weeks ago to be a part of a debate um, on whether or not women should be allowed in men's sports and men should be allowed in women's sports. That, that at the time when it was, the news was really heavy about Leah Thomas, the, the man who had transitioned to a woman and was swimming um, in, in women's um, sports um, college level with, I believe, Penn State. Um, this past week, the NCAA championships, did you see that? The NCAA swimming championships happened and Leah Thomas um, was swimming against um, other females um, as, as a transgender uh, woman. Um, in one race, I don't know if you saw this, in one of those races, there was also a woman who was transitioning to a male. So you had a transgender um, uh, male swimming in a race, a transgender woman against all the other women in that. What a sad situation. It's not just an issue for teens either. Some school districts have struggled to talk about this. This is some school districts have begun allowing and or mandating discussions even among young elementary age students using cartoon concepts, obviously focused at younger audiences. Um, the gender unicorn and the genderbred person are used in some settings to um, teach children, indoctrinate children younger and younger with anti-science concepts that say gender isn't connected to biology and that uh, gender is something they can decide on their own. A a popular actress and clothing line creator, Jojo Siwa, known by many for her appearances in Nickelodeon and other kid-friendly networks, Um, she created hair bows and a clothing line that many young girls and families knew and followed. Her content was specifically targeted towards young girls. But in January of 2021, she came out as a part of the LGBT community, but stated she didn't have a label for her sexuality. Interestingly enough, only a month later, she came out and gave herself a label saying she was pansexual, apparently meaning attracted to any human, regardless of gender. But she gave a real glimpse, I believe, at the condition of her heart when she stated this, quote, I still don't know what I am. It's like I want to figure it out. Our children, 
church are seeing and observing a sexual worldview from those around them on media, at school even. My heart breaks at the confusion. It has to break God's heart so much more. Let me give you a quick hint of perspective for us this morning, though. This, this sexual confusion is nothing new. In that, in that message from May uh, 30th of last year that I mentioned, I spoke, uh, I spoke about, I quoted author and pastor Larry Osborne, who said this on the subject um, from his book, Thriving in Babylon. That's another book I want you to write down if you're keeping notes of resources there. Thriving in Babylon uh, by Larry Osborne. A great book on how we live as, as Christians separated or um, in, in a culture that has rejected godly values. He said this in that book, Pagan cultures always create sexual confusion. Pagan cultures always create sexual confusion. He said this to, to, and actually in a way to encourage us that we shouldn't be surprised as our culture continues down this spiral in this area. He cites the godlessness of the Babylonian culture and others um, um, that did everything in their power, the Babylonians specifically, to change the identities of the Jewish men they had um, captured when they ransacked Israel and took the Jews into captivity. Some of the things they did, and many of you are aware, they changed the names of the men to Babylonian names. They forced them to study Babylonian history and their gods. And it's thought they may have also castrated them. This, this was common in war of the, of the age, that these were not uncommon things. Um, but, but Daniel, specifically, the name he was given by the Babylonians was feminine in nature. They gave him a, a girl's name. It would have been a slap in the face to Daniel. The, the, biblic, the, sorry, the Babylonian indoctrination of the Jewish men intentionally created sexual confusion as it sought to alter their identity as God's chosen people. Do you see that? Because of sin, then, our culture is intentionally creating sexual confusion as our enemy desires to change our spiritual identity. If we can be made to question, if our kids can be made or encouraged to change their sexual identity, is it possible we can be made to question our spiritual one as well, along with it? Pastor Barton connected the dots for us last week in pointing that out, that sexual relationships create a spiritual connection, that it's an undeniable aspect of intimate relationships, once um, one that we can't disconnect from the physical aspect. That's why God created sex to be within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. So, as parents and grandparents guiding our kids to faith in the Lord, one of the most important tasks, I believe, is to help instill a confident identity in Christ. Amen? If that's our task, if that's one of our tasks for our kids, intentionality, I believe, has to be our method. Church, there was a time decades ago when the general culture accepted um, so-called biblical standards of sexuality. It, it was maybe easier to, or easy to not mention the subject, right? Because the culture at large mostly practiced a form of morality. I'll never forget my dad telling me one time that um, his dad, my grandfather, who's passed away now, um, he struggled to even ever say the word sex. It was for a generational thing. They just, it, right, mostly did not even bring it up. I understand um, th- there were still things in the background of the culture of that time, right, that were, that were problems. I'm not naive enough to believe, you know, I know there were plenty of ungodly things happening, but it was almost easy, right, to, to let the culture kind of um, 
form our kids in that way. But, but we've moved beyond being able to just let our kids figure it out, right? I could give example after example of changing culture ideas of sexuality. One of my favorite examples of this, though, is with the fifth, um, sitcoms of the 50s, right? I think we've talked about this even before here and how, the way they portrayed marriages and families. In the show I Love Lucy, m- many of you know, um, anytime Ricky and Lucy were shown in the bedroom, right, they were shown in separate twin beds, right? Even though, you all know this, Lucille Ball and Ricky Arnaz were actually married in real life, Right? So, but, but, um, the idea of showing the two in bed together was too far sexually at the time, right? To even go there. And apparently I looked into this a little bit more when Lucille became pregnant in real life. Um, the CBS network refused to even say the word pregnant. (laughs) They thought, nope, that's too far. So they left that out of the script at first, afraid of how it might be perceived by culture. They were also at least initially cautious even about the idea of showing a pregnancy on screen, right? So they'd have the camera, you know, from chest up or something, you know, to not too afraid of, of how that might be. Man, how far we've come. <laughs> Whew. We've gone from being nervous about showing an actual married couple in the same bed together to celebrating a teenage pop star coming out as pansexual and plastering it all over media and celebrating it. How do we, as followers of Christ, react to a culture that celebrates sexual confusion? Well, church, I need some good news this morning. I don't know about you. Here's some incredible good news. We are never without hope. Amen? Never. What has always encouraged me in this area is reading and hearing from some incredible people who struggled in the area of sexuality um, and um, pursued a relationship with Jesus through that. Let me give you some names this morning. Again, if you want to write these down, check out their stories. There's a lot on YouTube, many other apps. Most of these people I'll mention have also written great books. Uh, Many of them I've read and and can personally recommend. Um, They've shared their stories of sexual brokenness and redemption in Christ. Amen. And and so these kind of stories give me hope here. Um, Beckett Cook, he's one. Beckett Cook is an amazing testimony of coming to Christ after living a life as a gay atheist. Interestingly enough, part of his testimony was running into a group of believers having a Bible study at a coffee shop. And he, without even knowing who this group of men was, he walked up to them, could tell what they were doing, and on the spot asked them, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Point blank. That's it. That's the first thing he said. These guys, in love and grace and truth, told him that the Bible sees it as sin, but that he is loved by the Creator. And from that day, Beckett shares... Um, that he'd never heard that before. And it began an incredible transformation in his life as he came into relationship with Jesus. Amen. Rosaria Butterfield, a feminist lesbian. Some of you have maybe heard of. She's local. PhD tenured professor at Syracuse University in the English department. After coming into contact with Christians who showed her an immense amount of hospitality and love, Butterfield came to Christ and today lives with her husband and has grown children. Christopher Yuan, a Chinese-American who got involved early in hardcore drugs and relationship with other men, was arrested on federal drug charges and found himself in prison. A prison chaplain gave him a Bible, which led him um, on a first-time discovery of who God was. This chaplain actually tried to um, communicate to him, though, that God accepted him the way he was in his sexuality. But Yuan, doing his own research through the Bible, realized the Bible did not affirm his lifestyle. And he surrendered his life to Christ in prison. Amen.
eventually left prison, attended seminary, and today is a professor, author, and speaker. And I love this. He travels with his mom and dad, who later came to Christ as well, sharing about the hope and redemption in his life. There are many others I could go on. Jackie Hill Perry, Samuel Alberry. Um, I could give you a list of other names and books um, if you're interested of people whose lives um, have, have, have found the hope that comes in Jesus' name. Realize that their sexuality was not their main identity, but instead found their foundational identity in the person of Christ. Church, there is nothing that you and I can do to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me do my best and help to give um, some ideas this morning that I've learned from others on, on how we can help guide our kids and our grandkids and other uh, students around us in the biblical historic view of, of sexuality. First one here this morning, and I love this, the version from the KJV, the best. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from us. Anybody who is ever a parent has heard this verse at some point. This verse, right, though, is all about planting seeds of faith in our kids, seeds that are watered over time and grow deep roots. How can you and I plant those seeds in the lives of the students around us? Continue with the garden theme. Of course, it takes time. One of the best ways to encourage, though, a life of faith in our kids, I think, is to live it out in front of them. Let your kids see you walk the walk, amen? Let them see you serve your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Let them walk in on you reading and pouring over the word of God. Demonstrate to them what it means to pray over your family. Live out a genuine faith in front of them. This means, though, that you and I must have personally transformative relationships with Christ ourselves. So how are you, I'll put that on us this morning, how are we um, growing in our faiths? God, um, what has God shown you recently about your walk with him? Do you apologize when you get it wrong? Are you walking it, it with people in humility and forgiveness? Our kids will learn what they're shown, right? You and I can be examples of the lives of faith that we pray our kids will continue on in themselves. Secondly, when possible, point out and discuss different worldviews. I love this. I had a a Christian leader once um, talk about him and his wife doing this, and I don't even remember who it was exactly. But every time they would watch a show together as a family or something like that, and they would notice something non-biblical, a non-biblical world you mentioned, um, when the show was done, they would take time as a family to actually sit and talk through whatever it was that they had seen. And they would ask questions to their kids, and they would get in this awesome conversation about what worldview was presented and and talk then about what the Bible says about that worldview, whether it was reincarnation or or a a non-biblical view of sexuality, those types of things. They were super intentional about pointing out the difference. I, I think it's important to note here we want to be cautious of our hearts during these conversations. Um, we do not want to be overly critical of everything that our kids are, are, are being a part of or watching, right? That will not, that, that will not um, turn out well. Um, let's be willing with grace, but without compromising the truth, to have these conversations with our kids. Having good dialogues w- um, with our children from an early age makes, also makes these um, conversations later easier. Check with, back with me in about five years when my kids are a little older and see how that's going for me, okay? <laughs> Lastly, this morning, I want to encourage you to have age, early age-appropriate conversations with your children regarding their identity and biblical sexuality. 
Church, it's a, it's, a stat, it's a sad stat that we've mentioned before. Uh, the average first exposure to pornography in, in a digital age is about nine years old. If you're, if you're not having those conversations, your kids have likely already seen it. And, and in their, they're forming um, a worldview of sexuality that probably doesn't line up with, our, with biblical values. From the last, for the last few years, I've had the privilege of teaching our high school guys' sex ed unit at the Charles Finney School, um, and to be able to do so from a biblical worldview, it's just it's been an honor of mine. I, I try to teach that class in an open but God-honoring way. I give the guys freedom to ask any question that they can think of, encourage them to engage in conversation. I think sometimes they've, they haven't felt um, that, that maybe they've been in an environment where they could could do that. Some, many of them have, but some of them haven't. It's often awkward for them, right? So I start that week encouraging them to embrace the awkward. That's what I tell them. Embrace the awkwardness. Ad- adults, I'll say the same to you this morning. If these conversations with your kids or students feel awkward, em- embrace it. Um, push past the awkwardness um, because, church, the stakes are too high. Our kids need to pass that test do they have an understanding of the biblical view of sexuality in their bodies? That yes, God cares what we do with our bodies. He's presented us a perfect plan, a plan for wholeness, and one that honors him with our bodies. For the many here this morning that have experienced this brokenness, um, maybe currently walking through the brokenness, I want to talk with you real quick. We're not without hope because Jesus' death on the cross solved all of our mess. His death gave us a chance of redemption, period. There's no disclaimer on that gift. There's no, there's no asterisk on that atonement. So if you and I come to him with a heart of surrender, ready to lay down whatever our brokenness is, he'll take it. And like the story of others that I shared, Make it make us um, holy. He can use your story of brokenness for his good. Maybe there are others around you that, that will be encouraged by your testimony of hope when you lay down that brokenness to Christ and found fullness in him. As the worship team comes this morning, we're going to close in worship. I want to pray for us all here this morning. Parents um, going through this, other family, students, and others struggling. This isn't just a situation for students. I realize that who may be here and are struggling in the area of sexual brokenness. I want to. I want to pray for you that God's redemption will get a hold of your heart. And you'll realize and you'll see God's heart for you in spite of the things um, that you're dealing with. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your death on the cross solved our mess. God, it brought a a plan for redemption that we could have never manufactured ourselves. It brought a chance at hope that we didn't have before. God, I know, um, I'm sure there are those here this morning currently struggling with these issues. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would begin to work in the situations that you would instill a sense of hope that surpasses all understanding and a peace for families struggling this morning. God, that's what your grace does for us. God, may we find hope, redemption, 
and, and peace ultimately in you. And nothing that the world has for us, God, produces that or gives that. That is only and solely found in you. May we rest in who you are in our lives. As we sing about your greatness this morning and we close, God, would our hearts and minds again be turned towards your character. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.